1: Amen. I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. We want to go into some very important and serious issues today. I pray you'll listen to the entire broadcast that you will not just dip in and then run, but get the full picture as Jesus gives it to you. Jesus will take away our sin, and it's by faith in his blood. But there is something that you must do. I want to talk about that from the Word of God. Let's pray. Lord, I come at your command to speak the word you've given me. And I ask, Lord, that it would be a great comfort to those who listen, but also a great challenge. I pray, Lord, that you will move in power today to touch the hearts of those who listen, that they would obey you. Lord, thank you. I bless your holy name. The name of Jesus. Amen. I have had, over the last week, five or six separate people in all parts of the country. And they have all had the same concern and the same interest. And that concern is that They earnestly love the Lord. They know that they need to be clean before him. They know that they need to walk away from all sin. And yet in every case, they have said to me, Yes, I know there is an issue in my heart. I know I'm not fully given over to Jesus yet. I know I need to die to me and live for Christ. But I'm just not, I'm just not doing it. Examining self very closely and clearly, doing an evaluation of of our hearts and finding in that a darkness a darkness. How do we overcome that? How do we walk free in Jesus? Well, it's not a psychological issue. It's not something that you can gain by going to a therapist. It's something you must go to Jesus about. But it's very practical And the answer is quite simple. We must simply choose the answer that Jesus gives us in the scriptures. There are some passages of scripture that just keep calling me back. One such passage are the seven letters to the seven churches. Today, I'd like to focus in the third chapter of Revelation on the 14th verse. Now, we've spoken about this before, but I want to I want to come and talk about it in light of the struggle that many of you are having. You've been awakened by this broadcast, or you've been awakened by the reading of the word, by praying, but you haven't gained the victory, the full victory. You've not come through completely yet. And yet you want to. So let's look at this letter to the church in Laodicea and see if it can help us understand what God thinks and how God operates and what he's looking for in our lives. The letter opens by identifying that it's the risen Lord who is speaking to us. He says, I know your deeds. He doesn't come and first things say, I want to give you inner peace. I want to bless you. I want to love you. No, all of those things, those feelings, that inner peace comes as a byproduct for something else that we must do. He says, I know your deeds. In other words, he knows what we do. He's not putting the emphasis on what we feel. Oh, I feel this darkness in my soul, Pastor, one man said. I feel this demonic presence in my life, another man said. What must I do, Pastor? Well, Jesus begins the discussion of what you must do by saying, I know what you're doing. It's what you're doing that is causing your peace to depart. It's what you're doing that causes the demonic power to have the right to come in and begin to grip your soul. It's what you're doing that takes away your peace. So if we change what we're doing, we will see Jesus come and bring the peace of the Spirit into our hearts. That's why I open today with this beautiful song, I Surrender All. He's not just speaking about, okay, Jesus, I give you my life, I will surrender to you, and then you go on living like you've been living. It doesn't work that way. When you say, I surrender all, Jesus, you are saying, I surrender what I am doing in time and space and history. I surrender what I am doing because of the lust of my heart. Jesus doesn't want to first deal with the lust of my heart. He wants me to look at what I'm doing. He says, I see that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. In other words, it is our deeds that make us lukewarm. If we want to be hot and not cold and not lukewarm, then we're going to have to change what we're doing what we're doing in time and space and history. There has to be a change of behavior. He says, You say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. Well, many of you, if someone said to you, What can I buy you for your birthday? you would say, I don't need anything. I have too much stuff already. I'm there. I don't need more stuff. I'm trying to get rid of stuff. I've gone through my closet today and I've pulled out a lot of things that are very old, that are worn out. I don't need them. I don't want them. They've just been hanging in my closet. Well, my closet suddenly looks amazingly empty because I'm throwing out those things that are worn out. A bathrobe that I've had has many colors. My wife gave it to me, wow, almost 30 years ago. Well, it's going in the garbage can. It's worn out. There are things in our lives that we've been hanging on to that are utterly worn out. We're sick of them. We don't want them. Actions. We don't want that anger. We don't want that bitterness. We don't want things in our life we just don't want. How do we get rid of them? He says, you don't realize that you're wretched. That is, you're, you're bent. You're twisted. You're you're broken, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're, you're unable to help yourself, you're, you're in a hopeless situation, you're blind, and on top of that, you're bare naked, your shame is exposed. He says, this is your true condition, but you don't know it. Well, why would we not know it? Because he says, you've acquired wealth. You're comfortable. Okay. If things are going to happen in your life that need to happen, you're going to have to recognize the very first step. You're going to have to discomfort yourself. That's a good word, isn't it? Discomfort yourself. In other words, you're going to have to make a decision to change what you're doing and what you have. You have to come to a place in your heart where you're saying, Okay, I'm willing to do whatever Jesus tells me to do. I'm willing to go where he tells me to go. I'm willing to change whatever he tells me to change in my life. I am finished with the old. There must be a change for me. Are you ready? Are you ready for a change? Are you willing to put yourself into a situation where you are uncomfortable? You discomfort yourself. When you get in that place of discomfort, you can begin to identify very easily your true heart condition. And he's saying your true heart condition is something you don't even realize. You don't see the twistedness of your heart. You don't see how pitiful you are in God's eyes. You don't see how poor and broken you are, how helpless you are. You don't see how blind you are. You don't see how naked you are until you get out of your comfort zone and you begin to see the reality of your life, and you have to make a conscious decision to move out of that comfort zone. And when you do, you begin to see your true condition. And frankly, sometimes circumstances in our lives discomfort us. Like when you lose your job, suddenly your heart begins to be exposed, the unbelief the anger the rage you can stand and kick and scream and curse you can begin to blame everybody you can begin to judge everything you can begin to criticize and call names all of that is in our hearts but it's it's not uncovered because we're comfortable in our job but when we lose our job wow now we're we're looking like we're worthless. They're saying, we don't want you anymore. You're out of here. That digs deep into our mind and our heart. And when you respond to it in a way that is bitter and angry and cursing and swearing and judging and name-calling, you're really uncovering your true condition before God. It was hidden until you lost your job. Or... You wake up one day and your wife says, I'm leaving. Or you find out that she's been shacking up with somebody. Or your husband has been cheating on you. And suddenly is released all of this rage in your heart. And, and the discomfort is very palpable. And you're, you're lost. You don't know what to do. How, how do I handle this? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill him call them names one husband said to his wife you've been a miserable wife I want a divorce oh she went ballistic and the truth is she's been sometimes hard to get along with aren't we all aren't you hard to get along with sometimes I am This begins to expose our hearts and we begin to see who we are. Or somebody cuts you off on the highway. And the rage is right there. And somebody throws you the finger when you're driving. What do you do? Do you do it back? Somebody stomps on their brakes in front of you and almost makes you hit them. What do you do? Road rage. It's real. One man had a fender bender. He hit somebody. Well, there was a very angry exchange between them. And the man who was hit pulled out a knife and stabbed the man to death. Oh, what's in our heart becomes fully exposed when we're not comfortable. Well, what would happen if you made a decision to voluntarily do things that would expose your true heart? What if you deliberately chose to give at a level that discomforted you, whether it was to a homeless person or to a family member, to a friend, a friend comes and he, and he says, "Look, I desperately need five thousand dollars and if you If you can, would you loan me that five thousand dollars?" And it happens that at that moment, you have the $5,000. It's all you have, but you have $5,000. You've been saving toward a car payment. You want to buy another car, and you've you've saved up $5,000. And so you make an agreement. You will give it back to me in 30 days. So on this date, next month, you will return that $5,000. I'm not going to charge you interest. He's a Christian brother. And you give him the 5000 The end of the month comes. And the man says, I'm sorry. I don't have it. I can't give you that $5,000 back. Oh, suddenly you're very discomforted because now you can't buy the car you planned on buying. You're out the $5,000. But he promised he would pay you back. And now he's not paying you back. And what happens in your heart? This has happened to me. And the man never paid it back. Now I'll tell you what the Lord did to me. Because I became very, very upset. I didn't say anything to him. But I was very, very upset. As I prayed about it, the Lord said, forgive him. And don't ever ask him for that money back. And now because of the way you've behaved, I want you to take five hundred dollars that you have saved up again toward that car i want you to go to his home and i want you to give him that five hundred dollars and tell him you know he and his wife are having a very difficult time and this is for food and for your wife i said lord that's utterly unfair he's already stolen $5,000 from me and I'm never going to get it back. I know. Go give him $500 more and bless him and pray for him. So I did. And he stood there with tears coming down his face. He couldn't believe that I would give him. Believe me, it wasn't me. It was Jesus. Now, through these processes, money has ceased to have any meaning for me, except as I am directed by Jesus to use it for his kingdom and for his people. I greatly appreciate Denise, who who sent along an offering of $100, marked it for the poor. And it was with great joy that I drove to a homeless family, a husband and wife. She's in her 80s, very poor health, living in a rickety old van. It was great joy I drove to them and gave them that $100. You see, it's what we do. That God is looking at. And if you want to change from being wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked, you're going to have to make some changes in the way you operate. He says, I counsel you buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. Okay, already you know that this is going to get pretty hot for you. You're going to be in the fire. And you're going to have to deliberately choose to put yourself in the fire. You're not going to light your own torch, Isaiah 50. You're not going to lie down in torment. You're going to pray through and ask Jesus, and you're going to take the course of action that he tells you to take. Now, you know... You can examine your heart and it can be all in your head forever. And you never gain the victory in your head. You gain the victory when you act on what Jesus has told you to do. Like the Lord has told some of you to come to the prayer chapel. And you've said, oh, it's too far. That can't be Jesus telling me to drive all the way there. Never mind that one family drives from almost Frederick, Maryland, all the way down to Woodbridge, Virginia. Why? Because he's hungry for the word, as are his sons and his wife. It discomforts him every Sunday to drive that distance. But he is willing to discomfort himself because he wants to, to be washed and clean in Jesus. It says, buy from me gold. If you look at 1 Peter 1, 6, and 7, gold is faith. Gold is faith. And if we go back here, go with me to uh, Hebrews. 11th chapter, and let me. I want to go to a literal translation of that Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Let me read this for you now. Faith is assurance of things being expected an inner conviction of things not being seen. For by this the men of old were confirmed. We understand the age, the ages to have been put right by faith in a rhema from God, so that things being seen have not happened out of things being visible. Well, let's, let's nail that down. He's saying that faith comes from a rema word of God. That is a breathed word of God that comes through the scriptures, which is the Logos word, or it comes through the spirit as the spirit of God speaks to you in your heart, or even audibly as he speaks to you. And you say, okay, I will do it. You see, faith requires a word from God, a promise, a promise that if you give this, he'll do this, a a promise of Malachi that if you will test God in giving your tithes, he will bless you, he will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing for you. Now, some of you say, Oh, Pastor, that's old covenant. Well, do you want a blessing or not? God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. In the New Testament, everything in the New Covenant belongs to Jesus. Your time, your energy, your money, everything. But a place to start is to give him 10% plus an offering. And that action will trigger something coming from God for you. Now, he says, this is Revelation 3, verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold. Buy, it's going to cost you something. It's not free. You buy the gold refined in the fire. In other words, you begin to take actions on what God has whispered to you that you know is the will of God because you've had a rhema word from the Lord. And if you've never had a rhema word from God, if you've never been convicted by the scriptures, it's because you're too far away from God and you've got to get close to him. And the way you get close is you begin to read his word, you surrender to him, you say, Lord, I belong to you. You are my Lord and my savior. Now, would you instruct me in the way I should go? Now notice, I counsel you, buy from me gold refined in the fire. The fire is the discomfort that we go through in doing what God has asked you to do. One man, he'd get up early and he'd read his Bible and he lives in a very small place with his wife and he would go out and he would stir around, getting his coffee ready, and it would always wake his wife up because she's sleeping in another room. Well, that was his pattern, and she would get mad at him for waking her up. And he knew he should not be waking her up. And I said, Brother, why don't you just slip out early in the morning because she doesn't have to go to work that early she has to be up later to go to work so why don't you just slip out early and go to a coffee shop or go to a dunkin donuts or somewhere and get your coffee it will be just a few cents it's not very expensive go get your coffee at a mcdonald's on the way to work and then sit in your in your vehicle and read the word you don't have to wake your wife up every morning Well, that was uncomfortable for him to do. Oh, but you want a sweet relationship with your wife you're trying to rebuild and repair? A relationship that's been blown away? Then discomfort yourself. Or a man who's angry at his wife because she's leaving the baby with him so much of the time and it's making him uncomfortable? Discomfort yourself. That's where we begin to learn what our heart's really like. And as we begin to be discomforted and we stand by faith, we're getting the gold refined in the fire. You can't have your life refined if you're comfortable, if you're lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, you think you're all together, you think you've got things covered. And you don't even know that you're pitiful and poor and blind and naked because you stay in your comfort zone and you demand that everybody else respect your comfort zone. My brother, my sister, if you want to be coming through in glorious victory in Jesus, and you must have that victory if you're going to go to heaven. If you want Jesus to take away your sin, you're going to have to have the victory. And you're not going to have the victory if you don't allow the Spirit of God to convict you and instruct you and discomfort you. I counsel you, buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. Well, why do you need to be rich? So you can buy the white clothes to wear. Well, what are the white clothes? Well, Revelation 19.8 tells us that the white clothes are godly actions. Righteous actions on our part. So, if you're walking in faith and you're willing to be discomforted, you're willing for every part of your heart to be exposed, then you can begin to buy righteousness. It is a gift from Jesus but it is obedience to Jesus. It's not in your head. I talk to some people and they're spending so much time examining themselves and and they're worried about past memories and they're worried about this and they're worried about No, get up and go do something. And let yourself be discomforted. Pour out your heart for your husband. Pour out your heart for your wife. Take actions. Unusual actions for your wife or your husband or your children or for your boss. Go the extra mile. Don't just do what is expected at work. Do much more. I spoke with one man. He said my boss would say to me, I don't know what to say to you because you do so much more than the job expects. You do so much more than I expect. You are more than a perfect employee. What a testimony. Do you think he was comfortable doing that? No, he wasn't. I went today into a, into a building where there are, I had to get some hair product to calm my wild hair. And so I went in, and just as I went in, there's a plant, uh, a, a plant that is all wilted. Well, there are people there working. Why didn't any of them care enough to just put a little water on that poor plant? Well, because nobody wanted to discomfort themselves. It's somebody else's responsibility, not mine. We can't walk through life that way and be filled with the Spirit of God and expect that we're going to have the gold and expect that we're going to be able to buy the, the white clothes of righteousness. But that's the only way our shameful nakedness can be covered. We must be dressed And then also to buy the salve to put on your eyes. The salve, of course, is John 14, verses 15 to 21. It's the spirit of truth. It's the Holy Spirit. But it's something we take the action that we might receive. Please hear me. And this is not legalism, and don't throw that at me. If you do, it means you just totally don't understand. You don't have a clue. Every action garners a reaction. If you slump down in yourself and you hide in your cave, the reaction you will get from the world is you will be passed by and you will become more and more isolated. And one person said to me, I don't have one friend in the world. And I said, wait a minute, who do you show yourself friendly to? Well, no one. Well, that's why you don't have any friends. You have to show yourself friendly. Who is it that needs help? Would you go give them a hand? Go help them. when you have salve on your eyes you begin to see I'm interested in the Lord coming that he might instruct me that he might convict me I want to look again at this Hebrews now let's go Let's go to the Revelation passage. I want to read this from a a literal translation, please. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing but you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I'm counseling you buy from me gold, having been refined by fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and that you may rub the eye salve on your eyes that you may see and those whom I may love, I convict, and I instruct. So you must be zealous and repent. Well, today Jesus is instructing, and I pray he is convicting your heart as I speak this message. It is from the word of God. Now, the NIV says it a little bit differently. It says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. But the literal translation is I convict and I instruct. I've been crying out to the Lord that he would convict me and instruct me i've been praying the same for you i know nothing is going to change in our lives until we begin to discomfort ourselves and we begin to see the selfishness of our hearts we begin to see the bitterness and the anger and the gossip and the and the lust for money one man He's willing to give 10% tithe because that's what he's convicted he should do. But he rounds it to the exact penny. No, he doesn't round it. He, he gives the exact penny. He doesn't give any offerings. He just gives what he thinks he has to. I pray, O oh God will you convict this man of his selfish heart? He thinks he's not going to survive if he doesn't save as much money as possible, so he's stashing money away just as fast as he can. He doesn't understand that God brings the manna, God brings the, the wealth, that God brings the food and the shelter and the car, our God is mighty. Nothing is too hard for him. So I'm praying for this man, the convicting power of God to fall upon his heart. See, revival does not come without conviction regarding our sin. And we need to be instructed. Both must happen We must understand that we must discomfort ourselves and do those things that the Holy Spirit is calling us to do, even though it seems foolish and crazy to do them. And then he says, So, be earnest, be zealous, and repent. Well, what am I to repent of? I'm, the re- I'm to repent for always making certain that I've got my deal covered, and I'm safe, and I'm together, and I have my life, and I'm accomplishing all that I want for me, but I've never allowed the Holy Spirit to discomfort me. I gloss over my bitterness. I gloss over my anger. I, I'm not willing to let God show me who I am in reality. He says be earnest or be zealous. That is go after it. Go after your comfort and discomfort yourself. And repent. Repent for your rigidness. Repent for protecting yourself and not being vulnerable in the giving of yourself to another. Repent for not thinking about another's welfare ahead of your own. Oh, I've got to have what I need to take care of me. I can't help you. You just lost heaven. Jesus laid it all down and he went to that cross. Romans 6 tells us that you and I both have to go to the cross with Jesus and be crucified with him. That means we lay our lives down for others. We're not self-centered. We're not judgmental. We don't cut people off because they don't do what we want them to do. We don't name call. We don't curse people. We don't say the F word. We don't walk with a bitter heart that says, I'm okay and you're not. No, we humble our heart. And we say, how can I help that person? How can I help that person at work that's struggling? Can I pick up their load in some way? Can I say a word of encouragement to them? What can I do? Can I give somebody some money? Can I give to the poor? Can I help that homeless person? Oh, I don't, don't, I'm not going to give to that homeless person. He'll just go use it on beer. It was bitter cold out this morning and I had to go see someone first thing this morning. And as I was driving, here is a, a woman walking the walk of shame, begging for money. And the Lord said, you give her, you give her some money. So I did. She was so cheerful Her countenance lit up. She said, Sir, thank you so much. I desperately needed that help. And I drove away saying, Lord, would you rescue her? And what else can I do to help her? I want to do something to get her off the street. So I'm praying about that. You see, if you're unwilling to be uncomfortable, you will never hear Jesus knocking at the door of your heart where he wants to come in and eat with you. And there is a key word all the way through these seven churches. It's in every one of the letters to the seven church. He says, To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Overcoming means conflict. Overcoming means conflict first with myself because I'm going to do things I'm not comfortable doing and that may in fact cost me a great deal and may make me look very foolish and friends may separate from me and cut me off. I have done things out of my heart, directed by the Holy Spirit, that have caused people to walk away from me and say, "'That pastor is insane.'" I'm not insane. I just want Jesus. And when he instructs me to do something, even though the world says you are foolish, I'm going to do it. If you want to sit with Jesus on his throne, you are going to have to be an overcomer. And to be an overcomer means to allow Jesus to take away all of your sin. But what you must do is step out in faith that you have bought by being willing to be discomforted in even the little things of life to say, I want Jesus. That's all the time we have for today. I hope this has been helpful to you. There's much more we could say about this passage, but that's enough to get started. Now, I'm going to be out of town. I'm going to take time to pray. I'm going to take time to visit my precious brother in Coeur Idaho. I'm going to take care of some family things. So I'll be here the Monday after Easter. I invite you to come to the prayer chapel on Easter Sunday. I'll be speaking. You can find where we're at by going to nationalprayerchapel.com and the address is there. We're a small house church. I want to thank those of you who are so graciously giving to cover this month's radio bill. Some of you have given so sacrificially. All I can say is I love you, my brother, my sister. You are discomforting yourself by your giving. Thank you. And I ask that you would be faithful in giving these next two and a half weeks while I'm out of town. I'd like to come back and have a great victory. I pray that you will give sacrificially, hilariously, discomfort yourself and watch what Jesus will do for you. God bless you. Pray for my safety and my safe return. Pray for my brother. I'll talk to you soon. I love you. God bless you.